Hey, two talents more. Now notice Jesus' response or the master's response. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. You're right about that. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. And then he looked around to the others and said, Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray that the Lord will help us to understand from this text what he would have us to do for the sake of his kingdom. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the direct parts. We're grateful for the stories that you tell that open windows into your thinking about how we should live in advancing your kingdom. And we're thankful even for the hard parts. And so as our brother Bert comes to preach in just a few moments, I pray that your word would be opened and your spirit would enable him and that we would receive whatever it is you intend for us to get out of this text. Thank you, Lord, for those that serve. We think of Hannah and her ministry with medical ministries uh, uh, medical missions uh, uh, global, Lord, we pray that you would bless her. We, we think of the Nacellis, how we praise you for them. We're so grateful for our community groups and ask that this uh, spring they would just be a, a, a refreshing time in the week when we can come together and do life as a church. Lord, I'm thankful for our children. And as they come here in just a moment, May we always be reminded that they are incredibly valuable to you and they should be to us as well. Help us to cherish them well. Thank you for Garrett and for the team that works with them. And as he comes to speak your word to them and to us, I pray that you would bless it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, come on up front. It's good to see all of you again. I think I told some of you last week that uh, the classroom upstairs was going to be a totally new color, and it is, but I think I told some of you it was going to be pink, and I forgot to tell you I was joking. Some of you saw a picture of it, and you were disappointed, and I'm sorry. It's not pink, but it is a beautiful color, and it looks really fitting as a classroom. Um, I haven't used coffee as an illustration in a while, but I am today, so I just want you to observe something real quick. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. It's really good coffee, by the way. It's, it's so good. I think all of you would actually really like it too. It's really good. Why are you laughing? Why are, why are you laughing? You want to tell me why you're laughing, Hudson? No, this is my face when it tastes really good. 
What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that face? It looks like the coffee's disgusting, and it's okay. So here's what we're talking about. Let me, let me give you one more illustration. What if I invited you over, and I said, Becca makes the best pasta in the world. And you came over, and you had some of that pasta, and it was disgusting. And then we said, actually, we just opened up a pasta restaurant. You should come. It's like $20 a plate. You guys would really like it. What would you say? <laughs> you guys are so supportive. You wouldn't come because if the pasta is nasty, our house, you would think, oh, that restaurant's going to be gross. Too. Something, something doesn't line up. And today, when we're talking about honoring God's name, all the names that we've learned so far, there's a lot of them. And we're getting this picture of a majestic, holy God. And now we, as his image bearers, have an opportunity to reflect who he is. And so as we live our life, we want to do things that, that actually show that we're his children. We don't want to live our lives in a way where people go, that's not right. I don't want to go to that church because that person's no different than anyone else. Right? If, if we're actually in a relationship with God, there's ways that we, that we act that are different. And you go to the Ten Commandments. Why do you think we don't take the Lord's name in vain? Because if he really is who he is, then we wouldn't say his name flippantly. See how our life changes when we know who God is? And we try to live our lives in a way that points to him accurately. So when we say this is a good cup of coffee, our face matches that. We want our lives to match with the God that we say he is. So let's pray, and we'll talk more about honoring God's name. Father, thank you so much for the time you've given us. Uh, thank you for this church that is a reflection of the relationship you have with us. And I know we can't reflect you perfectly. Sometimes we just need to be honest and ask for forgiveness for the ways that we fail and just own up to how we aren't perfect. We don't reflect you perfectly. Uh, but you do give grace, a special grace to those in a relationship with you. And we ask that you would transform us. Make us people who can point to you and show off your glory in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God is over everything in our lives, is he not? You know, this song that we're about to sing, it's our it's song of the month. And it starts by, by telling a little bit of a story that he came from glory and he took on flesh to save the lost. And because of that sacrifice that he made, we are, there's nothing more that we can do than just praise him and honor him um, and say and sing that he is indeed over everything. So we're going to stand uh, and we're going to sing our song of the month, Jesus Over Everything.
As the worship team's making their way down, we do have a handout. So I like for everybody to get their money's worth, you know, when they come to church. So if you don't have a handout, the ushers are going to come down and catch the people that maybe snuck in before that. So if you guys could come down, just raise your hand, get their attention as you go by, and uh, they'll get you that that handout. I'm really excited to to be here, even though there's a lot of others that would uh, probably do a better job on some of these topics. Um, it is a real privilege, and I just want to thank Pastor Sam and the elders for the opportunity to be with you. As Pastor Sam said, we're talking about stewarding God's kingdom. Not stewarding our own kingdom, but stewarding God's kingdom. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents. We're looking at Matthew chapter 25 in just a minute. But as we get into our study, and as you look at your handout, There's going to be a number of questions on the front. We're not going to read all those questions. We'll read through some. But our prayer is that you take that handout, read that through, 
um, with others this week. Maybe use it in your community groups um, to answer some of those questions together, and um, hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. Uh, there are sermon notes. I'm about to go off this, so if you want to scan this, but also in our app, there's, uh, there's the sermon notes as well. So scan this real quick if you want the notes on your phone, but they're exactly the same as, as the handout. So as we talk this morning, we're going to answer three simple questions from Matthew 25. Um, and those questions are, what are we called to steward? What does being a steward look like? And what are the results? Now, you will be interacting some with this sermon. And we're going to start off with one right now. So I'm going to explain to you what the world says about specifically financial stewardship. This is what the world says. And I'm going to explain it, and then I'm going to ask you to tell the person next to you what's wrong with this view of financial stewardship. But what the world teaches is that you need to manage your money really well. And if you manage your money really well and you get all of the, you know, things just right, you can achieve your goals. And, and by the way, this is what parents want for their kids, right? We want our kids to be successful and, you know, teach them well to manage their money. Because if you achieve your goals, then you will have peace of mind. You know, a lot of people that, that I work with say things like this. I don't really want to be like, you know, a gazillionaire. I just want to be really comfortable, like, I want to be comfortable with my finances so that I can have peace of mind. Because what we tell ourselves is that is where fulfillment comes from. So easy answer. Tell the person next to you, what's wrong with this as Christians? What's wrong with this view? Just whisper right next to you real quick. Tell, tell the person next to you, what's wrong with that? Now, I'm going to show you how we've Christianized this view in our world today. What we've done is we've actually added a bottom layer to what we call stewardship, and the bottom layer is this. Sorry. Give away 10% first, gross income, of course. The spiritual people give away gross, not net income, you know. Give away 10% first, and once you give that away, the other 90% is yours to follow exactly what the world says, right? This is, I, I like Dave Ramsey and some of the things he teaches, but this is what he teaches that I think is very dangerous. It's almost like if we buy God off with our 10%, the other 90% is ours. And in fact, we use language like this, give God his portion first, right? Give, give your first fruits, and we kind of don't ever finish it off, but we're kind of saying, and the rest is yours to do exactly what you want to do with. You follow this same rule because really fulfillment really does come if you have all of these things. And, and stewardship is not that. Stewardship is not I'm going to buy God off with my 10%. Um, I love this quote from, well, I'll get to the quote in just a minute. Um, well, let me get there and then we'll come back to this. I love this quote from Randy Alcorn. I'm going to read it to you. It says, stewardship isn't a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. After all, what is stewardship ex except that God has entrusted to us? I love the word entrusted because that's what it says in our Bible that the master does for his servants. He entrusts them with something. He doesn't give them something. So there's a difference. We're going to talk about what is the difference between a gift from God and God entrusting us. We're called to be trustees. And he says, God has entrusted us to lifetime, talents, money, possessions, family, 
and even his grace. And in each case, he evaluates how we regard that and what he's entrusted to us and what we do with that. And so I'd like to start off with our first question. What are we called to steward? We're called to steward all the things that God entrusts to us. And I've broken it up into five categories. So look at your handout, and we're going to talk about those five categories real quick. Those five categories are spiritual capital, human capital, which are our time and abilities. And by the way, I like the word capital, like I'm a business person. And so capital is this idea of somebody gives you something to make an investment on, and they expect a return of their capital. So I like to use the word capital um, in this regard. So spiritual capital, human capital, financial capital, which is our money, relational capital, and even emotional capital. We're going to talk about how do you steward hurt, grief, anxiety, and trials. All of these, and there's probably a lot more. So these are this, these five broad categories of what we're called to steward. And in a minute, we're going to look at the very specific parable of how the master taught his servants this. But let's talk, talk about spiritual capital first. What does it mean to steward God's kingdom? And do you believe that God owns every, every, every area of your life, including time, talent, treasure, relationships? What about number three? How do you respond in times of unbelief and doubt about your faith? It, does anyone else here have sometimes doubt about their faith? You know, have, have you thought about in the Bible, you think about when the father wants his child healed and he goes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, I, I believe. And then what does he say after that? Help thou my unbelief. You know what he's been given in that moment right there? He's been given an opportunity to steward unbelief. You know, there are times where I look around and I think, is, is this really true? You know, is, 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 is this part of faith really true? Or is this part of my, my faith belief or subculture, is this really true? Um, we ask ourselves those questions. And just like Peter had a lack of faith when he was walking on water, right? Um, and, and, and just like Thomas doubted and said, unless I can see the physical proof, I'm not going to believe. There's an opportunity in your unbelief to steward that unbelief. By the way, that stewarding of your unbelief, it comes, it comes when, you, when you take your unbelief to Jesus. And in all those cases that I just gave you, he often rebuked them. You know, your rebuking is part of Jesus helping you steward even your unbelief and stewarding all these other areas of life. Where do you find your identity? What is your prayer life like? Last week, the, the men met, 90 of us, and Nathan Doney shared with us a very challenging devotional on, on our prayer life. And then are you consistently living a life that is responsive to the Holy Spirit, seasoned with gr the grace of Jesus and trusting in your good heavenly Father? How are you stewarding the spiritual capital that God has given you? Wednesday night in our community group, we went around and talked about what are some areas that we kind of, what do we worship in our life as, you know, take gifts from God and maybe we misuse those, or how do we not use those correctly? And the most common one talked about in our group was time, like misusing our time. So how, how do we use our time? So I wanted to show you, show you this when it comes to time. So this is a study I found from the, you know, the World Bank, and it says if you took all of your years, 78 years of the average life, and you divide it up by hours, how many, how many of those years based on the hours that you do a certain activity are part of your life? And so, for example, we sleep about a third of our life. 
28.3 years. Some of you sleep more than that, some of you sleep less, but that's about, that's about normal. And then there's all these other things that we do. Working takes about 10 and a half years of our life. In other words, the hours you spend at your job, etc. cetera. Um, and then there's all these other things that we have to do. Um, and yes, there's a guy here that is sitting on a commode because grooming is part of life. So I just want to address that because I, this was the best uh, I could get up there. Um, and so um, grooming, we spent two and a half years of our life. We spent three and a half years in school. And I like that the guy's sleeping there because that's probably not being a very wise steward, um, sleeping through school. Um, four years eating and drinking. But I want to just highlight a couple things for you because some of these we have no choice on, but you still could steward those really well. You know, even in your eating and spending time with family, even in doing chores. But you know what's amazing is the average American today will spend nine years of their life on TV, video games, and social networks. Have you ever introduced yourself to someone and say, oh, this is my job, this is what I do, but my second full-time job is on social media, watching TV, but it's almost the same amount of time. Um, so that, that's a challenge to me when I see that. And then what's left, we have nine years left that we really have control over. So how, how are we serving God with our time? Some things we have to do, but you can still steward those things really, really well. So some questions um, on time there is, how do you spend your time? Does your life seem busy or hurried? What about if you get interrupted, etc.? Financial capital, we'll go through the rest of these pretty quickly here. But when it comes to financial capital, let me pull out a slide that we did two years ago when we were talking about personal financial planning. Financial capital, we should have an emergency fund. We have a budget that allows for reasonable saving and spending. And you remember last time we talked about the parable of the two sons and how one of them was a spender, right? The prodigal was all about spending, spending, spending. And the elder son was a saver. And he said, I've served you all these years diligently. I deserve to have something. Um, and so we talked about spending and saving, but really making, making a point in our financial to have time and ability to give, giving our time abilities um, and specifically our money. There's a great little book by Chip Ingram called The Genius of Generosity, and he says this about those three things. He says, if you want to be really smart, spend carefully. That's why we put together budgets and we have these apps and they notify us when we're over our you know, limits in these different ways. So, okay, I want to be smart with my money. So I'm going to spend carefully. But if you want to be wise, you save your money. You, very, you save regularly because that's what wise people do because then when they retire, they're very comfortable and they have everything they need. But then he says something that is really powerful. If you want to be a genius, you give extravagantly. And when we get to the end, in just a few minutes of this message, we're going to look at where true joy comes from. Not pleasure, our spending and our saving give us pleasure, but true joy comes from giving generously. And he says that's where, if you want to be a genius, you give generously of your financial capital. Also, relational capital is part of this. This is a graphic that I have seen in the past used um, in the business world, and it talks about having relational capital with people. And it says there's three pieces that make up relational capital, and where they all intersect is where you really build that capital. In other words, okay, you make promises to people. This is what you say. And then the way you act, your actions are your behavior. And then who you are is your reputation. And to build relational capital with people, you have to make promises or commitments to them. 
You have to commit to being with them in your behavior. And it's this little middle part right here. This is where relational capital is built. But when we, when we take, though, and apply this from a biblical standpoint, what the Bible talks about is are you um, not only hearing the word, but are you doing the word? And then is that impacting other people? So relational capital uh, is your influence over the people around you. Um, if you're a parent, can I ask you one question from here? Are you more concerned about your child's happiness, comfort, and safety more so than their holiness, faith, and pursuit of gospel risk-taking? You know, if you're a parent, which one of those do you fall more into? What about this? Are you overly dependent on the approval of others? In other words, I'm a people pleaser and I have to have people's approval. Or are you very, the opposite of that, are you very cool to people? Like, I don't need people. I can push them out of my life. I don't have to look at people. I don't have to talk to people. Give me a book in a room alone, and I'm great. I don't need people in my life. These, these two negative sides to relationships around us. Are you consistently involved in the discipleship and the care of those around you? And do you point them to Christ in your words and in your actions? And then last, the, the emotional um, capital. Hurt, grief, anxiety, trials. It's interesting the way often we respond with emotional needs. You know, often if, if somebody comes and they're upset and they may be, you know, crying or something, you know, some of our tendency is to say something like, you know, why are you crying? You know, like, what's wrong with you? And, and then they come back and they're, they're upset and, you know, Lauren and I will, as we meet with, with different individuals at times, this will, the, the most, you know, common response is they say, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry I'm crying or, you know, I'm sorry that, that I'm getting upset. And you want to, why? What is it that tells you in our culture that it's, it's a bad thing to have emotions? Emotions are a gift from God that he entrusts to us that we are called to steward really well. And so that's why when grief comes into your life, anxiety comes into your life, how you respond to those are very important. Often when hurt, grief, anxiety, trials come into our life, our emotions go wrong. And we take the reality of what's out there and we bend it. We, we take the reality and say, well, that person's out to get me. Or, or, we, or, or we take what's actually there in truth and we run down all of these scenarios. Do you scenario analysis? I mean, I do that a lot. Like, what happens if this happens and this happens and this happens? And then all of a sudden, you're, you're at a place where there's no truth at all, but you're living it out in your mind. Reality gets bent, and then your orientation turns inward. It's all about me. And, and that's why we're, at times we apologize when we cry, because we, we don't want to show that, you know, that brokenness to others. But the orientation turns inward, and then our perspective gets warped. And what the Bible says, and what we're going to talk about today, is when you steward emotions well, your reality turns to true biblical discernment. And, and you point people in their grief and in their emotions and in their unbelief. You're pointing them to the truth of God's word. Also, your orientation turns upward. You say, what, what is God's response to this, and how should I respond? And your perspective turns eternal. So that's the first question for today. What are we called to steward? We are called, we are entrusted with all of these areas of our lives. So if you flip your page over to the back, what does stewardship look like? Turn to Matthew chapter 25. And Sam, I was going to read the passage here, and I'm so glad that he read it already. So I'm not going to read it again, but I am going to reference it. So you want to try to have God's word open in front of you as we talk through this. Um, but let's look at what 
does stewardship look like in our lives? So first of all, there's a call. If you look at verse 14, it says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a man who goes on a journey and he called his servants. Um, Real simple, easy point. First point number one, we are his and he has a plan for our lives. And, And some of you, I'll just stop and say, some of you right here, you don't actually believe that. Either you're, you're not a child of his, or you don't believe that he has a plan for your life. You believe you have a plan for your life. And yeah, I'll give God the 10%, but the 90% is mine. But God has called us to a plan and a purpose, and that's point number one. Understand that. Point number two, it says that he called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. That idea of entrusting is not a gift. Um, The idea means that you are going to have this for a season, and God is going to want this back. However, there's a twist at the end of this parable, where there's a kingdom twist that we're going to see at the end. Um, But the idea of entrusting is the idea of being a trustee over something. It's not actually yours, that God says, this is yours to use for my benefit. And by the way, when we practice that the right way, it doesn't glorify us. It actually glorifies God. We actually can look at other believers and say, look at how God has blessed them with the way that they teach God's word. They're using it to build the kingdom. Or or maybe God blesses them with success in, in business or their job, and they're able to use that to bless God's kingdom. So God tells us you are a trustee, and we're going to use an illustration to talk about that uh, in just a minute. So God is entrusting us, and he gives us different amounts according to our abilities. Did you know one way that you find out God's will for your life? Because that's a common question, especially among younger college students. They're constantly asking this question, what is God's will for my life? Well, sometimes God's will for your life is, is shown by both the limitations and the potential he gives you. I will never be a professional football player. That's, that is not an ability that I have. But God has given me certain abilities that he maybe hasn't given you. And he has given you incredible abilities that maybe no one else has around you. So some of the way of finding God's will is what has God given me the ability to do? And then you go do it. However, I think some of the times we get into this comparison game right? And I wonder if the slothful steward, I wonder if he got upset. Why did this guy get five and this guy get two and I only get one? You know, like, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be mad at God because I think I deserve to have this, you know? And, and, and maybe the guy that had five is like, boy, I wish I had only been given one because then I wouldn't have as much work to do, you know? Um, so do you look at others and do you compare? But God has entrusted to us to be trustees of, of what he has given. Again, that I, I want to just put, make one more point. The idea of entrusting is different than a gift. Because I think when we say, when we think of God giving us gifts, we say something like, I hope I use them well. Um, I, and I hope I use this gift wisely. And we kind of have in our mind, we can either use it wisely or we cannot, but it's kind of ours to make that determination. So I want you to, I want you to change your thinking on that. Um, it, it's not yours. Um, there's a demand back from that. That's what a trustee does. And then there's time. You know, Sam actually highlighted this um, when, when 
uh, when he was reading. In verse 19, it says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. This is one of the beautiful things about stewardship. It's not a one-time decision that you make and then you never come back to it again. We have an opportunity every day, hundreds of times a day, for months and for years to make decisions about how to use wisely what God entrusts to us. And you have to recognize that. Um, I think sometimes we say, I'm going to make this one decision about stewardship. You know, I'm going to give this, you know, that same illustration. I'm going to give this 10%, and then I never have to think about giving anymore. I've checked that box, and I'm moving on. And, and no, what, what God says is every day you need to wake up, and you need to pray about how are you using your emotional capital, your spiritual capital, your financial capital, your human capital, the abilities God gives you. Um, and we have time to do this. So we are held accountable to that standard. So we must be consistent and we must persevere. And then there's a return. Look at, I want to read these because we're, we're going to talk a lot about these verses here. We're going to give an illustration. But look at verse 16 and 17. It says, <clears throat> And he who had received the five talents went at once. I like that. You know, this guy right away heads out. Went at once. And he traded with them and he made five talents more. And then so also he that had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Um, by the way, that, that last one, he said, he compartmentalized off his life. He said, this is the master's money, so I'm going to hide it. And then later in the parable, he comes back and says, here, master, take what is yours. But the idea there is the rest is mine. You know, so, so he did not integrate what the master gave into this total life plan. He segmented that piece off. Um, and, and God wants a return on what he provides to us. Sometimes we use the word risk. I would rather just use the word faith. Um, faith is always involved. Um, but even at the end, even at the end, he says, you know, you slothful serv servant, if you really knew me, you would have known that I would have been okay if you had just gotten a little bit of interest. You know, like even if you didn't do all of this grand growth, if you could have just gotten a little bit of interest, I would have been okay with that. Um, you know what that is? That's an exhortation. Even now, start small. You know, even now, start small with giving. Start small. You, you don't have to say, I'm not in a position to do these grand things. You know, Pastor Sam's talked about, give up a cup of coffee a week. Start small. There do, something happens in your heart when you give, even if you start small. So now we're going we're gonna to participate together. So we talked about the calling. We've talked about the entrusting, like that God entrusts us. Let's talk about now um, the return. All right, so we'll start here. And I'm going to ask you to vote in just a minute. So every, and, if, and if you don't vote for one of them, and I happen to see that you didn't raise your hand, I'm calling on you to answer the next question. And the college students know I do this, so you better vote. Um, so let me start by telling you a story, and then you're going to, to vote one of two ways. You're either going to vote for the bank, or you're going to vote, vote for stocks, all right? So here's, here's the story. You've spent 20 years saving, scrimping, cutting, saving $300, $400, $500 a month, and over the course of 20 years, you've saved $100,000. And now you have a choice to make. You have to either put it at the bank, where if you put it at the bank and you invest it for five years at 5%, you would get back off your 100 about $127,000. dollars 
by the way, I'm not saying at the end of this that to be a wise steward, you buy stock. That's not what I'm saying. So I, let, me, let me just give a preamble. Like, I, just, I just want you to know that. So you, you put it at the bank, you get $127,000 back. Um, by the way, this is about what, if you want to loan money to Palmetto for our land or property, these are almost the terms of that. So talk to Charlie Nacelli back there at the end um, if this is of interest to you. So you've saved all these years, you've got this $100,000, and you've worked really hard for this. And you can put it and get the 127. Or you could buy Apple stock. And, and, but but there, there could be possibly two outcomes to that. So again, when we vote in a minute, you're going to say, I'm either a bank person or I'm an Apple stock person. And so the first outcome is, what if you bought Apple stock at the worst possible time, and you owned it for five years, and it was a rotten Apple investment? And you put in 100000 and it was the worst five years of Apple, and it ended at $59,000. So you could have had 127 if you just left in the bank, but you bought Apple at the worst possible time, and now you've got 59. That's pretty painful. The flip side is, what if your timing was impeccable, and you were a perfect investor, and you bought it, and it, and it grew for five years, and it was the best five-year return ever for Apple stock? The ending value of that 100000 after five years is $1.3 million. But, but you could also have 59. So those are your two choices. How many of you would say, I, uh, don't raise your hands yet, but let me just remind you what you're saying. I would rather have the bank, the guaranteed 127 in my pocket, or I would rather take the risk of losing all this hard-earned money, going it down to 59, but maybe it grows, or maybe it goes somewhere in between those two. You know, maybe, maybe not. And by the way, about half the time, you would have done better with Apple stock, and about half the time, the bank would have probably done better. Everybody know what we're doing now? All right. If you say, I am the bank person, I want my 100000 I spent 20 years working for, guaranteed, 127, five years. Raise your hand real high. I'm the bank person. Raise your hand. Raise it, raise it, raise it. All right. How many of you say, I'm the stock person? Okay, so we're probably 55% leaning towards the stock person. Some of you didn't raise your hand, I don't think. But. Now, let me change the story just a little bit. What if after the service, somebody walks up to you says, here's $100,000. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. It's not, not yours. But they said in five years, in five years, you're going to have one of these outcomes. You can put it in the bank, and this money you've never worked for, you never knew you were going to have it. It's $100,000. Or you could take the risk, and it grow more than that, and maybe a lot more than that. Now let me ask the same question. How many of you would say, I didn't earn this, and, and you know, but I still want to put it in the bank. Raise your hand. Bank people? All right. How many of you would say, I'll do stocks now? Raise your hand. All right. So it's probably 90% stock now. Now, do you see what we're talking about here? Do you, do you see how the ownership of it gets inside of you and says, wait a minute. I worked really hard for this. I can't, I can't give it up. What we're saying is God gives you all of life. You can take risk. What if I said this? What if I said, same thing, somebody's going to give you $100,000 and they guarantee you this would be the outcome. 100% guaranteed you're going to get this. We would all do that, right? We would all take that risk. What I'm telling you today is that is true of what God says about his kingdom. This is the outcome every single time. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be a millionaire. What it means is if you trust God, 
with the capital he's giving you, the result, no matter what area of life it's in, you're going to have results that look like this. You're going to have this true joy that this parable talks about that isn't within your power. It actually comes from God. So the return is always there. And then lastly, um, in this, the kingdom partnership, the little, the little interesting thing at the end of the parable is the way I've always viewed this parable is you have the guy with five talents who grows five talents more. The master comes back and he says, here's your 10. And he gives them back to the master, right? Isn't that the way you've kind of read it? You know, gives them back to the master. And then the same with the two, two, you know, two, two talents. But at the end, when the guy with one talent didn't grow it, do you, do you remember what Jesus said? The master said, he said, take his talent and give it to the one that has 10. He still has 10. There is an abundance that's taught here. And I don't really know where all of that goes. I don't really know how that plays out in every area of our life. But the partnership is this. When you trust Jesus with your capital, he gives you back an abundance that becomes yours and his together. And there's this true joy that happens that, that is insurmountable. So that, that's what stewardship looks like. It looks like a call. We're entrusted. We have time to do this. There's always a return. And there's this kingdom partnership. And then what are the results? What are the results of our stewardship? First of all, the results of stewardship are it glorifies our master. When our master says to the steward, um, when the steward comes back in the first two and says, master, we've doubled, he says, well done, good and faithful steward. Well done, good and faithful. He says, you have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much Enter into the joy of your master. Um, When I studied this out, the idea of the results, the idea of the method we go through, and the motivation, these are very important. As you steward God's capital, there will always, always be results with that, and we want those results to be well done. It means that the results that this steward achieved for God were well done results. But not only were there good results, The results were good because the method that he went about growing God's kingdom was the result. It wasn't just growing wealth or relational capital or or human capital just for myself. It's that these results were good for the master's kingdom. That's what our results should be focused on. And then the idea of faithfulness means my motivation behind this, my purpose in life is to serve this master. And, And when we do all of those things the glory is the master's glory. It's not our glory. Like, like I think sometimes we look at people who we perceive to be really good stewards and we say, I, I hope I can be a good steward like that person. And, and really what it should be is we should be able to look around and say, I see God in the way that person has stewarded their time, their talents, their treasure, their emotion, the emotional strains of what they've gone through. I see God in the way they've stewarded that. And it actually brings glory to the master, not to the steward. And I think we miss that in the Christian world today. I think we miss what, what we would have. So, so my prayer is that our, our stewardship would glorify the master. But stewardship also gives us another gift, and that is it will reveal our sin. And, and I want us to take some time on this because we are learning from the slothful steward here about how stewardship reveals our sin. There's three points under this. 
when it comes to stewardship, if we don't get what we want, we often blame the master or we, we blame others. We often live in fear or we often run and hide from accountability and responsibility. Um, so there's three, if you're taking notes, there's three little words out right next to each of these. We either fight, we either fear, or we either flee. These are generally the wrong responses to stewardship. And fighting here is blaming. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. The slothful steward, when the master came back, said this. He that received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You were reaping where you did not sow, and you gathered where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. So he started off by blaming him. He said, I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Now, there is a recognition here that there's something that comes from the master. And, and many of us in our life, we can recognize that there's truth. We can recognize that there's something that comes from the master, but we segment it off. And he says, here, you have this back. It's yours. And, and the master responded back to him. And he says, you wicked and slothful servant. And then he asked a question. He says, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and I gathered where I scattered no seed? So if you knew this about me, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. You know, our, our stewardship will often lead us to blame others. Um, I, I, years ago, I was talking to a young man who did not, w- w- grew up in a Christian home, and he was not fully convinced that faith or that Jesus was the right approach. And what he kept coming back to is, I know some Christians who are the most horrible people ever in the world. And how can they be that horrible and they believe something that's true? I, I can't believe that that's true. Because these are horrible people. And, and, and what he didn't say was throughout history, there's been hundreds of millions of people who have lived for Jesus, who have died for Jesus, and who have literally changed the world for Jesus. But let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the clear evidence. Let's talk about these people I know who have hurt me, who have disappointed me, or who have done horrible, awful things. And, and they blame other Christians for their faith. We blame our parents for things often. You know, we, we blame our parents for, for, for mistakes that they made. Um, poor pastors, you guys get blamed for a lot of stuff. You know, you, bl- you blame the pastor and so, you know, oh, I don't like this or that, so I'm not going to give any more to the church because I'm not getting what I want, you know, and, and, and we blame the pastors. Um, we blame circumstances. We blame politics. Like, like this year, how often are you going to blame politics for your negative mood or for your negative outlook on the world. We blame others. But at the end of the day, when you blame, you're really blaming God. Like at the end of the day, when you lay blame, you're saying, God, I deserve something different. And and what we really do is blame God. And you know, when you blame others for the problems of the world or for the hurt in your life, and you assign that blame to God, it's like this. It's like you going to Ford and saying, Ford, why did you build a car that looks like this? You know, you should have never built this car, you know. Um, by the way, can you guys see this is a Ford F-150? This is the most popular, you know, car out there. Um, and so if you go to Ford and you say, you should have never built this car, why did you do this? That's like blaming God for Christians that hurt you or that fail you. It's not God's fault. We live in a fallen world. And, and if you assign your faith long-term to Christians who disappoint you, that's like blaming Ford for, for building this. By the way, you all know what Ford stands for, right? 
found on road dead, right? So, um, um, but to be fair, if you, if you bought a Ram truck and you drove it for years and you set it on fire and you did all of those things that, got ha- that happened to this truck, this is what the Ram truck would look like. I'm just saying, this is what the Ram would look like. But friends, we tend to blame God for the actions of others. That's a very scary place to be. That's where the slothful, wicked servant was. The slothful, wicked servant was blaming the master and not believing the truth. The second thing is living in fear. What are you afraid of? Um, Here he said, master, I was afraid. He was afraid because he thought he knew the master and he thought the master was a hard, hard man. But did did he really, is any of the other evidence with the other, I love that there were two other servants, by the way, because the evidence is very clear. There's two that the master was very generous to. The master actually did give them the seed capital, right? He actually sowed the seed. He, he gave them the capital, and he gave them the ability to go out and, and grow the capital, and he gave them time to grow the capital. It sounds like the master was a pretty generous guy, but this servant did not know that about the master. He didn't know that he had given capital to be entrusted. Um, and so he was scared. He was scared of, of living for the master because he did not know. What are you afraid of doing for Jesus? Are you afraid of truly allowing him control over your life, your career, your kids, your money? And then the third result, um, stewardship reveals our sin because we tend to run and hide. We run from accountability, we run from responsibility. And by the way, am I the only one that sometimes thinks about just running, you know? Like, like I'd like to just get away. Um, I don't know if that comes to anybody else's mind. Like, if I could just get away and, and maybe buy property somewhere. Um, and, 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 and so I have a question for you. Where would you run to? If you had the ability to do that, like, like where would you run? You know, some of you would run to like, have you ever seen these shows about owning your own private island? You know, and like you watch that and you're like, that would be so nice, you know, if I had my own island and I'd go once a week to get groceries and come back, and then about a week into that, you would be absolutely miserable. But some of you want to go to the beach and have your own private island. Some of you want to go to the mountains and have your own little stream that flows through and just be away from everybody and watch the deer and the elk come through, and it would just be so fulfilling. And then some of you would want to run to the city where you, you're around millions of people, but you can hide, and you have, you have access to everything you would want, Millions of people, but, but, but you're hiding in the midst of, of all of them. Um, by the way, some of you, especially like college students, you're on a campuses with thousands of students every day, and you feel so alone. You know, like, why, why is that? You know, are you, are you running from the master? Are you trying to hide? So we all think that the idea of getting away, running and hiding and fleeing from our responsibility is the right thing. So what we do is we organize our life to where we don't have to have accountability. We, we don't get involved in a ministry because then people are going to expect me to be a part. And, and I don't want to be a giver because if I give somebody something, they may ask for more later, you know. And so we come up with all these excuses about why we don't have to be accountable, why we don't have to be involved, and we are fleeing just like the wicked servant. And then what are the results at the end? What we see is, um, sorry, got too far ahead. There are always, always rewards. Always. Uh, Again, I want us to change our thinking about I hope I'm a good steward and I hope I'm rewarded. There will always be rewards. The question is, are you going to have 
the slothful servant award? Are you going to have the faithful servant award? And, and we know from this passage uh, that Sam read earlier, we know that the slothful servant reward is loss and ultimately judgment. It's loss and judgment. I'm going to take the one that I gave you and I'm going to give it to the one that has 10. And I'm going to cast you out. <laughs> so, so if you're living a life of a slothful ser- servant where you're blaming others, you're living in fear, you're running and hiding from accountability, this is the result that's going to come. But there's also another side to it, the faithful servant award. And I, boy, I, I just love the phrase that he gives the first two servants. After he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I've said little before you and now there's much. I'm going to make you over much. And then he uses this phrase, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. When you are a wise servant, there is supernatural joy that comes that you can't create. It only comes from God as we are wise stewards as we are stewards that are growing the kingdom, as we are stewards who are using what he's entrusted us for kingdom purposes. And that joy is very powerful. And then there's an abundance that comes from that. C.S. Lewis said this about, about joy. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite quotes. He said, I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it, and, and what he's talking about there, there is true joy. I doubt anyone who has tasted it would ever if both are in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. Entering into the joy of your master comes after a long life of God's calling, of us entrusting well and investing what he's given us, of time. This is why it's so hard, by the way, because all along the way, we can exit the joy highway and hop on the pleasure highway. You know, all along the way, pleasure is very easy to grab onto. Um, True joy is not within our power. But what he says is when we give generously, when we live this way, you will have taste of this joy. It says joy is never in our power, but pleasure often is. And in fact, um, this idea that is totally unique to the Christian belief system. So if you're here today and you have doubts about your faith, or you're not really sure about this Jesus thing, um, this, this is what the gospel is all about when it comes to joy. And it's this. It says, and you know this verse, Hebrews 12 two, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author, and he's the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured this cross, scorned its shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. True joy for Christ was going to the cross. And, and when we say, okay, Jesus went to the cross because he gave us the incredible gift of salvation, and that, that is true. But the Bible says the real reason that Jesus died on the cross was not just to give you a gift of salvation. It was to fulfill the will of the Father who sent him. Like Jesus says, the joy is me fulfilling the will of the Father. And, and the byproduct is we get salvation. We get changed lives to be able to live and to be able to follow and to be able to trust and to be able to use well what he's entrusted to us. That's what the gospel is. This is where true joy comes from. 
So we're going to close, and, and I'm actually going to close the way I did a year ago um, in our closing prayer. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Um, and, and when I ask you to stand, the worship team is going to come on up, and they're going to get set um, to, to sing. But, but as, as you stand in just a minute, um, what I would ask you is as, as I pray and as I close in prayer, if you would just take your hands and just hold them out in front of you if you're comfortable doing that, and there's two reasons for that. Reason number one is we need to pray as stewards that we don't hold on tightly to the pleasures of this world. We need to have a hand that's not grabbing the safety and security that money promises um, or the feeling of being fulfilled if the right people are with me. Um, we need to say, no, no, God, I'm not going to hold tightly to these things. Yes, they are, they, are, they are gifts from you that I'm entrusting, that I want to use well and steward and, trust and be a trustee over. And then the other open hand says, God, will you please place in my hands the things that you need me to do? Will you please entrust to me the capital, whatever it looks like, that I need to use for your glory? For some of you, it's financial capital. And, and, and you need to say, I'm not going to hold it tightly. I'm going to allow God, when he entrusts it to me, to use it for him. For some of you, it's your human capital. Some of you, it's your time. Um, I can't make that decision for you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But we're going to pray that we would have wisdom with what our master has entrusted to us, the entrusted capital. I want to hold these lightly, and I want to follow the Spirit boldly with what he's placed in our hands. And then I'm going to pray that we'd, be forgiven, that we'd ask forgiveness for when we blame others or we live in fear or we run from God. And then we want to praise God because of what he has done. So will you pray? Would stand up if you would. And, and as you stand, um, just bow your heads, um, and the worship team can start making their way up here. And, and let me close this in prayer as we come before the Lord. So God, as we come before you with just open hands, God, pray, I pray that you would teach us to not hold tightly to the things of this world, um, that you would, would change our hearts, that we would not find value and safety and security and position or money um, or our time or our family. So help us to, to open-handedly use those things. And God, and also as we have another open hand, I pray that you would give to us what you desire for us to use well. The capital that you've entrusted to us, help us to be wise with that and to use that for your glory. We want to praise you because you are a good master who gives these things uh, for us to be trustees over. God, I pray for forgiveness in my own heart where often I blame you or I blame circumstances, or I blame um, others uh, because of my lack of faith and respond just like the wicked servant. And, and God, forgive us for that. Forgive us, God, when we um, live in fear that, that we have to be the ones that control what you've given us. Um, forgive us when we feel like um, that, that we need to be the ones that um, are determining our future and then, God, lastly, I just I pray you would forgive us when we try to run. Even in small ways, we run from you every day. We run to these small pleasures, um, to, to our own selfish desires. God, forgive us of that. And, God, we want to praise you as we sing now. We thank you that you are our victory. And, God, we thank you that we can come before you with our needs. But also, we thank you that we've come before you um, knowing, knowing that we will have a return, an amazing return on the capital that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
going to continue to stand and close our service um, you know, before we do announcements with uh, resurrecting.
we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, before Ben comes up, we are going to end uh, with singing a favorite hymn that is just beautiful to jest our voices. Um, that's How Great Thou Art. Thank you so much, Bert, for the challenge this morning. I trust that the Spirit of God will use in your life as he is in my life this morning. Let me give you a few announcements about today, all that's happening, and then in the next couple weeks. Uh, so please take note of what's happening. All the announcements I'm giving, most of the announcements I'm giving will be given also in the e-news or the app. So if you're wanting to have these written down, make sure you sign up for the e-news or you can find them in the app uh, for reference later. Uh, today, there is the uh, celebration of life service for Lynn Savage. Lynn moved here from Florida about five months ago. It's Kim Aaron's mother. And uh, we are um, unexpected as she passed away. And so our the viewing today is from 2.15 to 3.15. The service is at 3.30. So if you knew Lynn, those are the times for you to attend. And then I do want to point out that Lee and Cindy Simmons are back for a few weeks. So make sure that you greet them. They are ministering in China and serving there. And so please um, say hello to them. They're in the back. And I think they'll be here for a couple weeks uh, before they head back to China. And then um, you may notice if you're a parent, you go upstairs into the children's wing. There has been a lot of painting that's happened this week. Garrett has led a team to paint the whole children's wing, and it looks fantastic. And so show your appreciation to Garrett and thank him for all the work that he's done. He's done an incredible job up there. And then uh, after our equip hour, there's a quick turnaround that's needed with our leadership meeting that begins at 1230 today. So if parents, you could pick up your children quickly after the equip hour, that would be most appreciated and helpful. 
This Thursday at 7 p.m. is the Women's Dessert Fellowship, and that's at the Nacelli's. And if you're able to bring a cheesecake, please sign up for that. And that can be done through the app or the e-news. And then there is a baby dedication next week, the 28th. If you've had a baby in the last year, or maybe um, you've not dedicated your baby and you would want that to be done, that can be done this Sunday. So please fill out the e-news or uh, the, the uh, app, and that would be helpful for us so that we can plan. And then... Uh, Next week, there is the PBC 101 class beginning. If you're new around here, uh, we want to make sure you, we invite you to that class. And that would be a great class for you to know more about Palmetto and why we are here. And then, like Pastor Sam already announced, on March, chap uh, March 8th and 9th, there's the marriage retreat that's planned. Save that date. The form and the sign-up will be coming out, but please save the date. And that's going to be a great weekend. You're not going to want to miss that. Well, we have our equip hour happening this morning, and we have our leadership class in the back, our Spanish class in the back, and then the three classes up front, we've got our young marrieds class, we've got a class with Bruce Meyer and Jonathan West, and this is a brand new class that's starting today, and it is called Trusting, uh, Learning to Trust God in the Hardest of Times, so they're beginning that, and you'll want to be uh, in that, and then there's the class that I teach, actually Peter's teaching it today, Pastor Peter, and that is conquest to kingdom. The college will have their class over at PBC, PBC Maine. The young adults class will have their class there as well. Well, will you please stand with me as we close our service? We are grateful for how God has provided and you continue to give. Thank you for obeying uh, the Lord and giving to him. Let's read our doxology together from Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. Let's read it together. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You are dismissed. See you at Equip Hour.